Well, good morning. It's okay, it didn't just start going wrong when we got here. It started wrong going wrong back in my house. I had to change the ink for the cartridge. Now, there was one time I was speaking in Biddulph when we ran out of ink, so we've got ink sitting in the house. Just waiting. If we get short of ink, I just swap the ink. Done it without having my glasses on, but... And if you know, if you handle ink for a, a printer, uh, there's a wee tab that you pull off. I pulled the wee tab off, but it wasn't really the wee tab. It was actually the micro circuit. <laughs> yeah. The funny thing is, I tried to get it in and get it working anyway. I sort of pulled it over, lick it, see if I could stick it down. Click, click. So uh, from a from a a nicely printed document to basically that's what I've got there, guys. I don't. We'll probably be finished in about ten minutes. But there you go. Uh, not to worry. Not to worry. Anyway. Uh, if you noticed on the wee Milton Baptist thing, I can't mind if it was the, the Bible reading or something, this wee idea of a thread, it was Alison brought it up. Well, it's something that I've been thinking about. Uh, one of the, the greater studies that you're ever going to do is Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, and particularly Jesus Christ in Genesis. See, the, the world tends to think that Jesus just appeared at Nazareth, and that the gospel started on Calvary's hill, or with the empty tomb more specifically. But nothing could actually be, be further from the truth. And I've named this message this morning, Bound by a Thread. Because what you find right through the Old Testament is that thread of Jesus Christ, that thread of the gospel message runs right through the Old Testament. But it must have a starting point. It must have started somewhere. Uh, and that makes immense sense to ordinary sensible people. Everything's got a start point. All right. But do you know it's actually a scientific principle? I'm not kidding you on. It's a scientific principle. Everything must have a start point. And if you think it's making really common sense, why are you saying this to us, William? Sure, we all know that. You go and ask an evolutionist, where's the start point? They'll struggle. Uh, 150 billion years ago. Okay. Well, what was before the start point? Oh, nothing at all. Nothing, there was nothing before the start point. So what caused it to start? See, this idea of a, a start point, although blindingly obvious, is actually very deep and profound. And the attacks that are made on Christians, on us mental Bible-believing Christians, is that we go back to Genesis. That's the, the word Genesis means beginnings. In the beginning, God. And in the Hebrew, that's the word Genesis. That's where we get the name of Genesis from. But what I want to do is, I want to show you that anchor point of the gospel. 
See, if I was going to take a thread and bind it all the way around every individual gathered in his building, in order for that to be effective, it would have to be, have a fixed starting point. I would need to tie it onto the leg of this piano. Either that, or I would just be walking about with a bit of thread trailing behind me. See, there's got to be a start point. And what I want us to do is look at Genesis chapter 3. And what you're going to see is, is this is where it went wrong. Genesis chapter 3. If you're wondering why this world really is in such a state, and if you think it's a beautiful world and everything's fabulous and tickety-boo, you really need to open your eyes. It's a wicked place. There's lovely people in it. There's lovely scenery. And there's people who are trying their best, not necessarily Christians. There's people who try their best to try and alleviate burden and pain. But if you've lived any life at all, you'll know that this world can can trip you up and kick you down and keep you down. So where did it all go wrong? Where did it start to go wrong for humanity? And where did it start to be put in right for humanity? Genesis chapter 3 answers both those questions. And Genesis chapter 3 actually tells us why this world is in the condition that it's in. Now, I'm not going to read the whole chapter. There's three passages I want to read through, and then we'll see if we can tie them together. Read with me Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Now, the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Ye hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Let's move to verses 14 and 15. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Thou hast, uh, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above uh, all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And then finally, verses 22 to 24. And the Lord God said, Behold, 
The man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And, and now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was uh, taken. And so he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword which turneth every way to keep the way of the tree of life. And let's pause for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, as we have opened your book, as we have examined these beginnings, Heavenly Father, you know yourself. This is a book, this book of Genesis is a book that's greatly under, under attack for the world. It's the book that needs to be discredited because it's the book upon which everything else is built. And Heavenly Father, as we look at some truths from your word, dear Lord Almighty, it isn't me anybody needs to hear from this morning. People need to meet with you. And to that end, Heavenly Father, I hide behind your word. I trust entirely upon you to control my language. Let me not be intemperate. Let me not be vindictive, Heavenly Father, but let me be honest and forthright and truthful in love. And Heavenly Father, we'll see what your word has got to say about where all this started. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Where did it all go wrong? It's, it's a question that philosophers have sort of pondered over for years. How did we end up in this mess? I think I've said it before. There's a wee adage that says, to any thinking man, this world is a puzzle. And to any feeling man, this world is a heartbreak. So where did it all go wrong? Where did it start? Well, here's the start point. See, the world that God had made was perfect. And it's this book that's under attack. This, this is why I chose the start point. This is why I didn't come in halfway through. Because if we could have picked any prophet, any book of the Bible, and we could have spoke of Jesus Christ from it. But I want to answer the question, why? Why Jesus Christ? Why Calvary's cross? Why was it so important that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life? Well, it was for us. And the reason Jesus Christ went to Calvary's cross is because man got it wrong. And this is the importance of the book of Genesis, and this is why I charge us as believers, we need to stand on our Bible, and we need to stand on Genesis, because it's all we've got. And if you're going to set aside the book of Genesis, the world will love you. You can become an apologist on YouTube and you can get invited to do speaking. Just don't be that 
those fundamentalist type Christians because they're really annoying. And we are annoying because we won't let it go. But what I want to show you first of all is where it actually went wrong. What happened? And we see that in verses 1 to 6. Now the serpent was more subtle than the beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Ye hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. There's the first thing. Do you know, uh, now the serpent uh, is the devil and I'm not going to touch on him. There's, there are several people involved in the passage of scripture that we looked at here. We have God is involved. We have Satan and he's involved. We have Adam and Eve and he, he, uh, they're involved. And we have a cherubim, an angel. And it makes me smile because whenever you see cherubim depicted in pictures, it's always a baby with red rosy cheeks and curly blonde hair. No, no, that's not cherubim. It wasn't a little baby with rosy cheeks and curly hair that come down and collected Elijah in a flaming chariot. Let me tell you. You don't want to get on the wrong side of these people. That's all I'm going to say. But here's, here's the first thing that Satan was able to do. Here's what he's doing when he says, Yea, hath God said. He's gaslighting Eve. See, the reason I think he's attacked Eve is quite simple, is because God never spoke directly to Eve. God spoke to Adam. Alrighty. And that's what Eve done. Uh, that's, what the, that's what the devil done. He gaslighted Eve. He, is that really what God says? I mean, does the, the Bible really talk about creation in six days? Did Jesus actually die on a cross? Was he actually buried? Did he, was he resurrected? See, that isn't universally accepted. And even people who call themselves Christians don't accept that what Jesus done at Calvary's cross was enough for sin. There's other things that you've got to do. See, it's gaslighting. That's the first thing he does with Eve. See, this is Eve that's being spoken to. And here's Eve's response in verse 2. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest ye die. Here's where man-made religion starts. See, Eve knew, Eve knew what we've not to eat of that tree. But God says we've not to touch it. God said no such thing. Eve has made this up herself. Uh, and <laughs> the hum humanity's capacity to build their own religion is phenomenal. And you see that with the amount of religion that's out there. And then we have a straightforward lie. In verse 4, the serpent says, And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. And that's the, the, that's the straightforward lie. Bible isn't true. Bible's a collection of fairy tales. There's nothing to it. There's no proof for it. When, of course, quite the opposite's true. Do you understand that, that 
all of the observable science that we have today, that we can take into a laboratory, that we can test, that we can replicate, that we can make predictions upon, all of it supports the Bible. All of it. So there's the straightforward denial of God's word. And here's the hook in verse 5. And this is what catches us. And this is Satan continuing on. He says, For God knows, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. It's this idea that God's hiding something from you. And that's what, he, that's what he's hooked Eve with. There's another world out there and God doesn't want you to see it. Because God knows then that you're going to be just the same as him. So that's the hook. That's the, that's the, the three great lies that land on Eve's shoulders. Look at verse 6. And here's the outcome. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. See, in that verse alone, in the piece of Noah, there's a bit that I've left off, and there's a very good reason for that, and I'll come back to that in a minute. But see that fact that she, seeing that it was pleasant to the eye, that it was good to eat, and that it was going to make her wise? Do you know that's the basis for all wrongdoing? that we have on our planet today. That's the basis of what drives humanity and the world today. Because we see something and we desire it. We take something because we think it's going to do us the world a good and we see a position in life and we think, if I can only attain that, I'm going to have everything. It's all going to be fabulous. If I can get everything that I want, if I can take everything that I see, if I can be whoever I want to be. Perhaps for men, the personification of achieving that goal really is bound up in a man called Ernest Hemingway. He's a man's man. He's a guy. He does... He does bullfighting. He was uh, in the Spanish Civil War. He landed on the beaches of Normandy on the 6th of June 1944 with a bandage on his head because he was so macho. He wrote books, The Old Man of the Sea, Farewell to Arms. He was a Nobel Prize winning laureate, Nobel Prize winner for literature, a man's man, a guy's guy, married four times, and no doubt a whole lot of very willing young ladies in between. He had everything. He done everything. Till you get to the 2nd of July, 1961. 
Ten days before I was born, he went down into his basement, he opened his gun cabinet, he took out his faithful, uh, favourite double-barrel shotgun, he went up, he sat on his porch, and he discharged both barrels in his head. See, it's a lie. You're being told a lie. The devil's a liar and he's the father of it. And the thing is, we fall for it, hook, line and sinker, because it sounds so plausible. Because, hey, become a Christian, well, what have I got to give up? That's, that's one of the major, major sort of objections to becoming a Christian. I'm going to have to give up. I'm going to have to give up. And the idea of what you actually get, forgiveness of sins and a home in heaven, isn't even on the horizon. What am I going to have to give up? And we see the consequences. And and the thing is, this isn't the beginning of sin in humanity. It isn't. The beginning of sin in humanity is actually at the close of verse 6. Look at the, the last sentence. It says that Eve took it and did it. Now get this. And gave also unto her husband with her, and he did it. That's a start point. That's where it went wrong. See, see it wasn't even. I know that women have been blamed uh, that somehow Eve tempted Adam. He didn't. He was standing there like a big dork. And she went there, eat that, and he went, ah, okay. Munch. It was a willful act of disobedience. And the Bible's absolutely clear. See this mess we're in? It was a man's fault. That'll cheer you, feminazis up no, no end. <laughs> it was a man's fault. It wasn't Eve. Eve was deceived. Eve actually believed him. Believe the, the serpent. So what are the consequences? Well, I want you to look at the consequences because they're profound. Uh, look at verses 22 to 24. It says, uh, verse 22, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become what, as one of us to know good and evil, and, uh, and now lest he put forth his hand, and take also of the tree of life, and eat, and live forever. Now here's the thing, we're going to read in verses 23 and 24, that God, he drives them out of the garden. And you're looking and you're thinking, God, you're not being a bit hard-hearted here, you're not being a bit heavy on it, but uh, verse 22 gives you the reason why the tree of life is also in the garden, and and. It plays a part in, in man's ability for, for living forever. It's very profound stuff. And this is all a study in itself over weeks, guys. I'm, I'm just trying to barge it all in because there's a point I want to get to. I want to bring you to that thread that binds us together. But Adam and Eve were put out of the garden to protect them. Because can you imagine, see, we, we, we crave eternal life. But can you imagine eternal life in a body that's breaking down because of sin? 
And I mean, I'm 60. I identify as 25. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm 60, right? I'm not the strapping young lad I was at 25. Not even the strapping young lad I was at 59. <laughs> but can you imagine a body that's just going to go on and on and on? It's actually horrific when you think about it. You see, eternal life and sin can't coexist because sin corrupts. Sin breaks down, it destroys. It's the nature of it. That's why God likens it unto leaven, unto yeast, because that's what yeast does. It corrupts dough. It breaks it down. So they had to leave. And here's the, uh, here's the result in verses 23 and 24. Therefore the Lord, God, the Lord God sent them forth from the Garden of Eden to, uh, to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and placed at the east of the Garden uh, of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. To keep them away from the tree of life. See, Adam's sin, here's what it done. It separated us from God. And that's where humanity is now. And that's where humanity has been for some 6,000 years. And the impact we see, that separation from God, we see the violence, we see the sin that's happening. Goodness, the, the death rates in American cities is horrendous. Our own capital city, London, has become, a, become a, a place where you just go to get stabbed. It's awful. We're seeing the sexual harassment that women have had to deal with for decades, forever. I would say from day one. And I'm no screaming feminist. No, I honestly believe women should be in the kitchen, but that's neither here nor there. Just done that. Just done that to annoy my wife. How could you say that, William? I don't. But I know that women have been terribly abused over the years. But here, not only women, children, male and female, men. This has all come about because of sin. It's all sin. But here's what that separation from God has produced. It's, it's left what, what we call a, a, a God-sized void in the soul. And that's what we try to fill. That, that's what commerce tries to fill. We try to fill it with things. We try to fill it with possessions. We try to fill it with position in life. We try to fill it with sex. We try to fill it with food. We try to fill it with alcohol, with drugs. Positive mental attitude. We're trying to fill this hole that that separation from God produced in humanity. And God done it in purpose because he's trying to call us back. He's trying to let us know there's something missing. And he wants us to come back to him. There was a headline in the New York Times not so long ago. I know what it was. 
What's the point? That's a prevailing thought that's running through young people's minds. And I'm not talking about children. I'm talking about young adults. Men and women in their early 20s and into their 30s. This COVID restriction, this COVID pandemic has got people sitting down and thinking, what's the point? And here's the thing, see if, see if this book of Genesis isn't true, see if the evolutionists are correct, then they're absolutely right. What is the point? Because you're an, you're an accident. Your life has no purpose. And when you go into the ground, all you're doing is feeding the worms. All you're doing is occupying a space and using resources. And see if you're not productive. Well, hey, you, you're better off dead. And if you don't believe that, just look at the abortion clinics and, and look, at the, look at the euthanasia clinics. See, you've got to understand that this is real. We're not gathered here just to have our tummy rubbed and our ear tickled and for everybody to say, hey, we're Christians, we're fabulous. We're going to see that there's actually a fight, a war being fought. And here's what I've got to ask you, Christian. What, what part are you playing in it? See, it may not be that you're ever going to be a, a big evangelist. Thank the Lord for it. I've seen big evangelists. Wonderful. I really question the efficacy of it. It's a local body of believers that we need to build up and we need to replicate. And we're going to see that fight next. But, but that separation from God, that first sin has done colossal damage Absolutely everything that you see that is wrong with this world. Childhood cancer, sickle cell anemia, cerebral palsy, eh, goodness, car crashes, murder, rape, child abuse, violence, theft. All those people that are sitting in, in, in garages in the Ukraine trying to hack into your computer to steal your money. This is where it started. So how do we put it right? Well, this is beginnings. And that thread, that scarlet thread that I said winds its way right through the Old Testament into the New Testament, this is where it starts. Look at verses 14 and 15. Well, look primarily at verse 15. But this is where it starts. Verse 14 says, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I'm not going to deal with this character of Satan because I think it's getting spoken on. But see that, all that, uh, thou shalt eat dust all the days of thy life. Uh, that isn't, that isn't, picturesque language, that isn't to, to show a picture of, of 
how lowly the snake is. You know, if you follow this thought through Scripture, here's here's what that's talking about. Complete and utter defeat. Absolute defeat of Satan. See, this is what we've got to grasp, brothers and sisters. If you're a believer, we're on the winning side. And if you're sitting here this morning and and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, your Savior, look, I, I love you enough to be honest with you. You're on the losing side. Because what you're going to have to do is you're going to come up against God and you're going to have to answer for your sin. And you won't be able to turn around and blame Adam because God has given you a way out and this is what I want you to look at first. Uh, The beginnings of that gospel. Look at verse 15. And I will put enmity between thee and the seed that is Satan and the the seed in between uh, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shall bruise his heel. Do you know the entire human history is contained in that one verse? All of God's plan of redemption is contained in that one verse. Look at the first part of it. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman. That word enmity is used three times. It's five times you find it in your Bible. Three times it's, it's translated as enmity. Twice it's translated as hatred. And it's an absolute visceral hatred. And you've got to understand that that's what Satan has for men and women. But I'm going to be specific. For Christians who are not really that excited about being Christians, they come to church, pick the Bible up once they're blooming, Satan has no interest in you. Let me tell you, absolutely no interest. Have you got one of them? I just cry like a child all the time, honestly. I can't watch kittens on YouTube, just can't. But there's a battle going on, and you have an enemy that hates you, and it's a visceral hatred that would see you dead and in hell. That's how bad it is. I'm I'm not even remotely exaggerating. I can't emphasize it enough. He wants you dead and he wants you in hell. And and if you're a Christian, all he needs to do is get you disinterested in the gospel. Satan's no interest in you, uh, brothers and sisters, until you get serious in some way about your Christian life. Then you've got an enemy. And it's a vicious enemy. But Jesus says, fear not him that can kill the body. Rather, fear him that can kill body and soul and hell. We're on the one inside. But what if you're unsaved? You've got to understand, Satan doesn't need to get you involved in selling drugs to children outside primary schools. Satan doesn't need to get you uh, people trafficking some poor ladies, some poor creatures across the continents. To go and work in a sweatshop. That isn't required of Satan. All he needs to get you to do is to think, yeah, that Bible, a lot of nonsense. And particularly this book of Genesis. 
Do you understand that everything I hold to be true about my Christian belief, you'll find in the first 11, 12 chapters of Genesis. 95% of it. And this is the book that the Satan set about thrashing. But he doesn't need to get you going out and killing people, committing murder, robbing banks. All he needs to convince you is that Bible isn't true. He gaslights you. And that's for that I will put enmity between uh, thy seed and, and her seed. There's a battle going on. It's being fought. But here's another thing, and this is what I want you to say about Christ. Another big point of attack on the Bible is the virgin birth of Christ. And we, if we're believers, if you're about it, any sort of Christmas service, you'll know that we, we look to Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. Behold, I show you a sign, a virgin shall conceive. And the world looks at all these bit children sort of running about in, in nativity and they go, ah, but virgin birth? No, I don't think so. But look at our verse 15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed, now get this, and her seed. There's no man involved. The idea that this was going to be a, a supernatural birth is right back in the book of Genesis. Isaiah elaborates on it. And then Paul writing to the Galatians point back, points back to it. Look at Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. Just quickly. Now get that, I mean, this is, this is 4,000 years down the line for Genesis. And here's what Paul says, but when the fullness of the time was come. See, so you've got to understand, this planet is not careering through the universe. It's on a timetable, but it's God's timetable. God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law. No mention of a man. And it's, I mean, I love the, I actually love the grace of God in that. Because I'm sure Eve was sick as a cowboy's horse when the full realisation of what they'd done, when they had to bury their son Abel, who had been murdered by their other son Cain. I'm sure the, the, the realization of what they had done between them must have landed on their shoulders. God says to Eve, you're going to bring the Redeemer. There's going to be you. There's going to be no man involved. It was a man that messed us up. I'm going to use a woman to put it right. That'll cheer the feminists up. But here's we go. And I do want to do a wee chain reference here because this is 
This is where the thread is anchored. This is where the scarlet thread of the gospel is anchored. I finally got to it. And it shall bruise thy head. That's the seed of the serpent. And thou shalt bruise her. Oh no. That's uh, Jesus. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. There's two injuries going on. The seed of the woman, they're going to suffer a chronic ankle injury. But the seed of the serpent, he's going to get his head crushed. And here what we see here is that first glimpse of Calvary's cross. That that deliverer that was coming, he was going to suffer an injury. And here's what I've got to say. For us to, to get back into that fellowship with God, to, for, for us to uh, get back into that proper relationship with God, which he always had for us, it came at a price. It came at a cost. And it cost God the life of his own son. And again, you'll hear people say, how can a loving God allow bad things to happen? Well, God watched his own son being battered unrecognizable, being wrongly arrested, falsely accused, wrongly convicted, battered unrecognizable, and nailed to a cross and left there to die. Here's the truth of the matter. Apart from the fact that God is sovereign, which ultimately is true, and he can do whatever he wants. But here's the thing. You see any heartache that we're going to suffer on this planet? God's been through it. See, God sat in heaven and watched his, watched his son die. And even better than that, God turned his back in his own for that time on the cross when the lights get put out and God and the whole host of heaven which had always ministered to Christ they turned their back on and this is the anchor upon which that scarlet thread runs through scripture if you go to Genesis chapter 22 you're going to find Abraham asked to sacrifice his son and there's a big squealing match about that as well but God's God, and God can ask anything of you he wants. And it wasn't a child that Abraham brought up to offer. It was a young man, it was a strapping young man, and Abraham's in his night, he's close to 100, and Isaac could have just pushed him out of the road and walked. And what we see in Abraham and Isaac is a willing father and a willing son. But here's what Abraham said to Isaac before he ever laid him down on the altar. My son, the Lord, will provide himself a lamb. And that's exactly what God done. You take it in Joshua chapter 2, verse 18. Rahab the harlot. Read it up. Phenomenal story, absolutely phenomenal. Two spies into Jericho. They find themselves in a harlot's house. And I love Ivan Pambakian's answer to this. How did they end up in a harlot's house? They were men. That's Ivan's answer. 
But the answer's more prosaic than that. It's more clever than that. Men going in and out of Harlot's house wouldn't raise any suspicion. That's why they ended up in Harlot's house. But an agreement was made. See, Rahab, the whole population of Jericho had seen what God had done for the nation of Israel. But the population of Jericho feared the Israelites. Rahab, she feared God. And she asked these men to protect her. And do you know what the answer was? Tie a scarlet thread around your window. And see whoever's in your house, they're going to be protected. They'll be safe, no harm will come to them. See whoever's outside, they're dead. And it's a picture of Christ. You're safe in Christ. You're secure in Christ. Once you're in Christ, nothing can get you. And Psalm 22 speaks of our He pierced my hands and my feet. When Christ cried out the cross, My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Oh, the world loves that. There's Jesus. All, all doubtful. All fearful. No, he wasn't. He was pointing back to Psalm 22. You should have pricked up the ears. This was something David spoke of 1,000 years before it happened. You see, all the evidence is there, folks. All the evidence is there. But tell me, is that Scarlet Thread in that man here? Are you saved here this morning? Are you born again? Because if you're not, let me tell you, you're out of God's commonwealth. And it doesn't matter how long you go to church. How much you give to charitable causes, it doesn't matter how many old ladies you help across the road. I need to watch that one because I'm old now officially myself. You're not saved. There is no religion that's going to save you. There is nothing that you can do that's going to get you into God's good book. Because He's done it. And He's done it in Genesis chapter 3. And he done it as soon as it went wrong. God put in place the mechanism to put it right. In fact, before God ever said let them be light, Jesus Christ stepped forward and said, Look, I'll pay the price for sin. There's a thread that ties everybody. And see that scarlet thread that we are reading about in the events in Genesis some 6,000 years ago? Let me tell you, that scarlet thread goes all the way from Genesis, right through the Bible, down through history, and right through the front door of the Mount Baptist Church. And if we could see it, brothers and sisters, there would be a wee bit of scarlet thread tied round your wrist. Tell me, do you have that? Said, do you have that assurance? Do you know you're a sinner? And will you be saved? Not would you like to be, because that's a really easy question. We would all like to be. Not would you like to go to heaven, because we all like to think we're going to go to heaven. That, that, that salvation, that's a choice. 
God has provided a way in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The charges upon you be set forward and say, Look, Lord, I'm a sinner. There's nothing that I can do about that. I ask you to forgive me in Jesus Christ's name. And I trust entirely on what he has done for me. That goes for Lord. Heavenly Father, as we close, Lord, I thank you for this time in your word. I thank you for this gospel that we can preach, Heavenly Father. I thank you for your care and provision that right, right from the very, very beginning, Heavenly Father, you have reached out your hand. You have put right what man put wrong. And we thank you for Christ. And we thank you for what he's done for us. Lord, if there's any among us who don't know your son, I ask that you would be with them, that you would show them the truth of the gospel. Not my clever words, Heavenly Father, but God the Holy Spirit convicting the soul. And we'd see lives changed. Lord, thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your book. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen.